0: Oh, good morning. It's uh, great to be with you again. It's been a while since, since we've been, Chloe and I, come down. It's been a while since I've preached here. Normally, uh, because I'm normally down here on holiday, I try to avoid it. Not because I don't like speaking at Great Parks, but it's nice to have the rest. But it's a privilege to be able to bring God's Word at the beginning of the new year. I was thinking this morning how much of a privilege it, privilege it is to be able to start the year preaching the Word of God. What a privilege that is. So we're just going to read from John 17. And we're going to be looking at some verses from this chapter. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but we won't be looking at every single verse. But I'll I'll read the chapter, and then I'll just pray again and ask the Lord for his help. And then we'll look at a few verses for encouragement as we think about the year ahead. So John chapter 17 and beginning in verse 1, and just in case you want to bring it up on the screen, you're right there already this is the New King James, so I don't know what you've got there, but yeah, swings around a lot. So. Right. John 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him, and this eternal life, sorry, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified on the earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, 26. We'll just have a a brief brief prayer and then we'll look at some of these verses together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that we can say this morning that Jesus Christ is worthy of all honour and praise and glory. We thank you for him. We thank you for his great salvation, which he has provided for us through his death on the cross, his resurrection on the third day. And Father, we thank you that through him, we can come boldly before the throne of grace this morning and ask for help. And Father, we do that now. We, we pray for your help as we look at your word. We thank you that we're reminded here that it's through your word that you sanctify us, that you make us more holy, that you make us more like Jesus, that you change us. And Father, that is our prayer this morning. Just as Christ prayed that we would be sanctified by your truth, Father, I pray that now that as your word is preached, that you would change us and make us more like your son. Father, pray you help me and give me words to say. Everybody can hear my voice is, is weak this morning. And we pray, Father, that you might just strengthen me, that you might help me and just give me the words to say. And Father, for those of us who listen, we know how easily our minds can wander onto things which are less important than the word of God. And we pray, Father, that that might not happen this morning, but that... We might be riveted to your word, because your word is truth. Father, grant it, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So us have a sip of water. Well, as we go into a new year, it can be daunting, can't it? You, we sit here, the first day of the, of the year, and we think, what's ahead? And it can be scary, can't it? The unknown, not knowing what this year holds. We can look back over last year and we can see many blessings. Perhaps we can see difficulties as well and struggles. And maybe we're worried what this year will hold. What good things will there be? Well, that's exciting, but what bad things will there be? Well, that can be scary, can't it? And I think when we are faced with things like this, the unknown, the new year, I think one of the most encouraging truths we can think about is what we call the intercession of Jesus Christ. The fact that he is in heaven now and he is pleading for his people before the Father. That he is our advocate and that he asks the Father to do things for us for our good. And well that's encouraging. Because he's the one who knows the future, as we've been reminded in 10 of our hymns this morning, the beginning and the end. He's the one who's ordained everything that comes to pass. He's in control. And so it's encouraging to know that he is the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. And what it says in Hebrews 7.25 is this. It says, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession intercession for them. And so as Christians, the Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven and he is interceding for us. He is asking the Father to do things for us, to keep us, to protect us, to look after us. And in our our reading this morning, what we have is, is, is if you like, a, a glimpse into some of the things that Jesus prays for his people. When we think about the intercession of Jesus and the work that he's doing now in heaven on behalf of us who believe in him, we might be thinking of, well, well, what is he asking for? What does he want for us? And in this passage, it's as though we have the door open slightly so we can just peer through and, and see a glimpse of what Jesus desires for his people, what he's praying for us. Now, there is a sense in which we can say, So the work of Jesus is finished. When he rose from when he he died on the cross to pay for our sins, and he rose from the dead, we could say that his work is done. Don't need to add anything to his saving work. There's another in another sense we could say that his work isn't finished. And that's his his the other aspect of his priestly work, his intercession. As we've just read, he always lives to intercede for us. And so, yes, in a sense his work is done, when he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death, there's another sense in which he's still working and he's interceding for us. I don't know if you've ever ever thought of the, the question, why am I still a Christian? Why do I wake up this morning with a, a prayer from my mind, a hymn in my heart? Why do I wake up this morning still loving Jesus? Well, the answer is because he is interceding for you. It's because he is still working and keeping you. He ever lives to intercede for us. Now, well, in our chapter this morning, we see some of the things that, that he's praying for. And the reason why this is encouraging, think about as we go into the new year, is because we don't know what's ahead. But our Lord does. And he is the one who is in control. And he is the one who has our best interests at heart. Now, in verse 13, we read this. We read that these things were said for our joy," it says in verse 13. "But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves." Now we don't have uh, any recorded prayers of Christ. or not many even. We do. We, we do have a few, but not many. Some of them are sentences. But this is this is the only complete prayer that we have recorded of Jesus. And we learn here that it was it was recorded for our joy it was recorded so that we can read it and draw comfort from it another thing we need to know, to know before we look at what it says is that jesus prays for all of his people he says in verse 20 i do not pray for these alone meaning his disciples who were there at the time the 11 But he says but i pray for all those who will believe in me through their word and so if you're a believer this morning if your faith is in Jesus Christ if you if you're trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins well he's praying this for you these words are said for you as well and one more encouragement before we look at what Jesus prays for his people and that is that what Jesus prays for his people will happen Have you've thought about that before but the one who wants these things for us is the one who has the power to bring it about. He's not uh, a weak saviour. He's not uh, in heaven wishing he could do more. But he is the sovereign saviour, the one who's in control of everything. Now often we want something for people, don't we? And we feel powerless to do anything about it. We can think about loved ones, people we know, and we want them to be well. And we just, we can't do it. But here we have someone who not only wants things for his people, but has the power to bring them into effect, to make it happen. And so as we look at what Jesus prays for his people, we can be encouraged and we can trust him as we go into this new year that ultimately in the grand scheme of things, as we think about the big picture, will be well because we have one who ever lives to intercede for us. So what does Jesus pray for his people? Well, I've got four things that I want to briefly highlight this morning to bring to our attention in this passage. And the first thing is that Jesus prays for unity. Jesus prays for unity. Secondly, he prays for our protection. Thirdly, he prays for our holiness. And fourthly, he prays for us to be with him in heaven. Four things. Unity, protection, holiness, heaven. So firstly then, Jesus prays for our unity. And we see this in verse 11 and verse 21. And other verses as well. It's, it's actually one of the main themes of this prayer. That his people, that us Christians, would be united. And that's the first petition that he brings to the Father for his people. That he would keep them united. Look with me at verse 11. It says there, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. And so here we have the petition that Jesus makes for his people. And what we see first is the concern and the care that Jesus has for those who believe in him. He begins by saying, Father, I'm not in the world, but they are in the world. And we see here that he has a deep concern... For his people. He's going back to heaven. Where there's no suffering or sorrow or pain. But us believers are still here. In this this world filled with sin and pain and sorrow. And Jesus cares about that. He's concerned about it. Because he's concerned about us. And he loves us. So he says to the Father. Father I'm not in the world. But they are in the world. So we see his concern. And then we see what he says. He says keep them through your name. Now what Jesus is saying here is he's asking the Father to keep those who believe in him, keep them faithful to him through his power. Keep them through your name. Now, some people translate that phrase in different ways. Some some translations say, keep them in your name, which would mean keep them faithful, keep them believing, keep them uh as people who, who, who live according to your character. Keep them in your name. Other people interpret it to mean, keep them by your power. And they interpret God's name there as, as representing all of his attributes and his person. Now, sometimes we can be guilty, can't we, of splitting hairs. And I think actually what's being said here is both of these things in one. When Jesus is saying, keep them through your name, he's saying, keep them faithful to you through your almighty power. Keep them, preserve them, protect them. We could put it negatively, and he's saying, "Don't let them fall away. Don't let them turn from you, but keep them by your power." And what, what does he want the Father to do that for? Well, it says there, towards the end of verse 11, the reason is said that they may be one as we are one. Jesus here wants the Father to keep his people by his power. Why? So that they might be united so that they might be one. That means one in purpose, one in love, having unity. We could put it negatively, and we could say, Jesus is praying that we won't be divided, that we won't be at each other, that we won't be bitter, that we won't hold a grudge, that we won't fall out. Jesus is praying that we would be one. Now, we need to notice something here. Jesus' uh, desire for unity is his, his bar, his standard is very high. He doesn't say, I pray that they might be one. And so that they might just tolerate each other. Or that they might be one in, in a small way. What he says is, I pray that they might be one as we are one. And that's profound. That's amazing. He's praying that his people, the Christians, would be united in the same way that the father and the son and the holy spirit are united in the godhead now if you if if you if if you studied god and the trinity you will know that everything that the father wants the son wants they are one in purpose one in will they they never have to call a committee meeting they are perfectly united in one And Jesus is saying that that same perfect unity that is within the Godhead, that he wants that for his people, for you and for me. Perfect unity. Now, why is unity so important to Jesus? As I said earlier, he mentions it again and again in his prayer. More than anything else, he wants us to be united. Why is it so important? Well, in verse 20, we've got two reasons. In verse 21, we see the first reason is... Because it's through our unity that the world knows that the Father has sent the Son. It's through Christians being united, loving each other, not falling out, that the world outside sees that Jesus Christ has come from the Father. He really is the Saviour. It vindicates, it authenticates the Gospel message. And the other side of that, that is if there's division, well... People just use it as an excuse. How can it be true when Christians treat each other like that? And if you've ever done any evangelism, you will know that you come again, you come across that time and again where people say, if it's true, then why is that church down the road split? Or or or, or why 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 did uh, those Christians fall out? So Jesus wants us to be united because it's by our unity that the world knows. No- The gospel is true, that Christ is the saviour. Secondly, it's because it's through our unity that the world knows that the Father has loved us Christians in the same way that he's loved his Son. That's what it says in verse 23. That they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Again, it's through our unity that the world outside knows that all of this is true. That's why Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he said, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now there's a challenge here and there's an encouragement. And, and with each of these petitions, we're going to see, see the same thing. There's a challenge and there's an encouragement. The challenge is unity important to us. It's important to Jesus. He spends most of, the time, most of his time here praying for him, And it's what he's interceding for now. Our unity. That as Christians we would be united. Is it important to us though? Are we willing to overlook. That comment that, that brushes up the wrong way. Are we able to overlook. That, that thing that that person did. That was unsought for. Are we willing to, to, to not gossip. To, to, to let things just pass by. And to forgive people. Even if they don't say sorry to us. Are we willing to. to, to put people before ourselves. In the name of unity. Are we praying for it? Are we striving for it? It's a challenge, isn't it? As we go into the new year. There's also an encouragement here. Because unity can be hard. Unity is difficult. And in our own strength, we can't do it. We are saved. Yes, we're born again. Yes, we've got a new nature. Yes, we've got God's spirit. Yes, we've still got the old nature as well. That that sin nature. That 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 makes unity difficult. You get t- so too many people in a room with a sinful nature. Even after the new birth, you're going to have issues and it's hard, and it can be discouraging. But there's an encouragement here, because we have one who ever lives to intercede for us. And one of the things that he is praying about, one of the things he's pleading to the uh, to the Father for, is our unity. And he is the one who has the power to bring it about to change our hearts. To put in our hearts a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's in 1 John I think where it says this is how we know that we know him. Because we love the brethren. How do we know we're converted? How do we know we're born again? Because all of a sudden we love other Christians. That's something that God does in us. And so we should be encouraged that as we go into this new year. That we have the Lord Jesus Christ who's ever living to plead that we might be united in one. So that's the first petition Jesus made. The second petition is Jesus prays for protection. Protection. He prays for unity and he prays for protection. We see this in verse 15. If you look down there, verse 15, he says this, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus says, I don't pray for this, but I do pray for this. What Jesus prays is not that we'd be taken out of the world. And what he means by that is he's, he's not praying that Christians would be removed from all suffering. You have these preachers, these false preachers, who preach a prosperity gospel. And they say, if you believe in Jesus, you'll be rich, you'll be healthy, you'll have no problems. False preachers. And people believe that, and then they realise it's not true because they get cancer, or they get in debt, or their, their, their husband dies. And then all of a sudden they, they, they think that, that, that Christ is not a true saviour, and they... They walk away. Because they came to him for the wrong reason. They believed a false gospel. The Bible does not teach that we will never suffer. And Jesus doesn't pray for that. He says, I don't pray that you would take them out of the world. We're not going to be removed from suffering. Because it's through suffering we become more like Jesus. And we have to be in the world. Because how else will people hear the gospel? How else will people be saved? So Jesus doesn't pray that we'd be taken out of the world. But what he does pray is this. He says, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. But... I pray that you should keep them from the evil one. From the evil one. And so we could put it like this. What Jesus is saying is, he's saying, I don't pray that they'll never suffer. because God uses our suffering for good, to make us more like Jesus. He says, I'm not praying that they don't suffer, but I'm praying that their suffering won't be destructive, won't be fatal, won't be final. He's saying, I pray that you'll keep them from the evil one. So as Christians, we will suffer, but we know that it will bring about good and not our ultimate ruin. Now, we've got an example of this in the Gospels. Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. There's the intercession of Christ. I've prayed for you. He says, when you are restored, strengthen your brethren. That's what Jesus says to Peter. I've prayed for you. And then later on, We see that Peter denies Christ three times. And so we could say, well, he's close to falling there. He denied Christ three times. But then in John 21, right at the end of John's Gospel, what do we see? Well, we see that the Lord restored him. And we've got that, that threefold confession of Christ. Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. And so that's an example where Peter was, uh, if you like, he, he was caused to fall by the devil. We know the devil had his hand in Peter's denial of Christ. And yet, it wasn't final, but he was restored. And this is what Jesus is praying for all of his people. He's not praying that we'll never suffer. He's not praying we'll never be tempted. But he is praying that whatever we experience, whatever we suffer, whatever we're tempted, that that will not be fatal. It will not be final. But that we will overcome and God will keep us. Now that's encouraging. This is something that Jesus is praying for his people now, for you now. And it's something that we can hold on to as we going to the year ahead. What, 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 what is ahead in this year? Well, we don't know. Cancer, maybe. We don't know, do we? What we do know is that we will be kept from the evil one and that whatever we suffer, that God will bring about good from it and that it will not be destructive to us our faith if we're true followers of Christ because of what Christ is praying for those who belong to him that he will be we will be kept from the evil one so Jesus prays for our unity prays for our protection next we see he prays for our holiness and we see this in verse 17 verse 17 Jesus says sanctify by your truth your word is truth now that word to sanctify means to set apart as holy it means to set apart from something and to set apart for something so when it's used in this verse jesus praying that christians will be set apart separate from sin and set apart for serving god now to help us understand sanctify and setting apart we could say use this pulpit as an illustration oh careful this this pulpit is set apart for a special use isn't it I've I've been to a few coffee mornings here and they never had this in the front in the middle of the church with biscuits on it it's been set apart for a special use for preaching for the leading of the service and it's been set apart from normal uses we don't use it as a coffee table it's been sanctified if you like to put it that way and what Jesus is saying that we his people would be sanctified Set apart from sin and set apart for God. Now, there's, there's, there's an encouragement here. And that is that it's God who sanctifies. The reason that Jesus says to the Father, sanctify them by your truth, is because sanctification, making a Christian more holy and more like Jesus, is a work that God does. Now, the reason that's encouraging is because if we were left to do it by our own resources, we would have no hope. I don't know if you've ever tried to give something up. It's hard. Willpower is difficult. It doesn't go easy. And if we were left to sanctify ourselves, we might as well just forget it. But here we have a wonderful encouragement. We're reminded that it's God who does the, the sanctifying work, who changes us. It says in one of Paul's letters, I forget which one off the top of my head now, but he says that we are changing to the image of Christ from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. It's by God's spirit that he makes us more like Jesus, that he sanctifies us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 he says, This is the will of God, even your sanctification. So it's God that does it. God is the agent, if you like, the one who does it. And his word is the means. That means his word is the instrument he uses, the tool that he uses to make us more like Jesus. God is the workman. And his word is the tool that he uses. And Jesus says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So one of the ways that God makes us more like Jesus is that he changes us. We become less like who we used to be and more like Jesus. One of the ways he does it is through his word, through the Bible. Now perhaps one of the reasons we've got this book in front of us today is in answer to this prayer. Jesus prayed that we'd be sanctified by the truth, by the word. Well how could we be sanctified by the word if we don't have it? So perhaps in answer to this prayer, I don't think it's too much of a stretch of the imagination, we've got this word in front of us. God, the Father, always does what God the Son wants. Praise in the before in the tomb of Lazarus. He says, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. The Father always does what the Son wants. Because they're perfect. They're perfect in unity. One in will and purpose. So Jesus prays for our sanctification. There's a challenge here. Sanctification was important to Jesus. He wants us to be holy. Is it important to us? Are we striving after holiness? Are we, are we day by day putting off the old man, as it says? Turning from sin? Laying aside those things which cause us to stumble. The things that we know that are wrong. Stopping it. Stop doing it. Are we seeking to do that every day? And are we putting on the new man? Are we, are we seeking to be more like Jesus? Well, if holiness is important to us, one of the things we'll be doing is we'll be reading this book, won't we? Because here we learn that this is how we become more holy. Through the word of God. Now that's a challenge. But there's also an encouragement here. And that is. That the one who has the power to make us holy. Is the one who desires it. The one who's praying for it. And it can be discouraging can't it. Where we we feel like we're doing so well. I haven't lost my temper driving in ages. And all of a sudden somebody cuts me up. and 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 I get road rage. And it feels like you're back to square one. You think, I've, 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 I've progressed nowhere. I'm just as I used to be. And we, get, we can get discouraged. But actually, the encouragement here is that Christ, who has all power, is praying for us to be holy. And actually, we, we know for sure that we will be one day. It says that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Every believer, if you believe in Christ, you know you've been predestined to be like Jesus. We, we, we've not seen it yet, but in God's eternal plan, it's, it's as good as done. So there's encouragement there. We will be holy. Finally, we see that Jesus prays for us to be with him in heaven. I'll go through this very quickly. He's prayed for our unity. He's prayed for our protection. He's prayed for our holiness. Finally, he prays for us to be with him where he is. And this is verse 24. He says this, this Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, firstly, we see this is the desire of Christ. This is what he wants. He wants you to be with him where he is. And I know that the father always does what the son wants. And the fact is the father wants it as well. The, the entire Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, all of them are, are working for your salvation. It's been planned in eternity. It's been uh, accomplished in history through Christ and it's being worked out now through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus prays for it and it will happen. This is his desire. And his desire is that we will be with him where he is. And that's heaven. Heaven at last. Heaven where there's no t- tears, nor sorrow, nor pain, nor suffering. This is what Jesus wants for his people. And he wants it so that we might see his glory. So we might see him as he is. There's so much that could be said about here, about this passage here, about this verse. But I think we we just need to just pause there and just, just be reminded of what assurance we can have. If you're a Christian this morning, what assurance we can have, what confidence we can have in Christ. That we will be with him. We will see him as he is because the one who ever lives to make a for us is the one who, who wants us to be with him. He can save to the uttermost all those who come to God through him. Now to the uttermost means completely, absolutely, totally. He can save to the uttermost. So there's, there's assurance there. This is what Christ wants for us. And so as we go into this new year, there's many things we don't know. What we do know is... If we didn't make it to the end of this year, if the Lord should call us home before that, we know we'll certainly be with him. Whether we see the end of this year out or we don't, we know that one day we will be with him. Because this is what he desires. And what he wants happens. So Jesus prayed this prayer for the encouragement of his disciples. What an encouragement they are. What an encouragement these verses are to us as we go into this new year. To know, as the hymn says, that we have before the throne of God above, a strong and perfectly, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives, to plead for me. What encouragement it is to know that there is one there, and we can say, my name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart, and I know while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. What encouragement it is to go into this new year, knowing that there is christ in heaven the man in the glory who ever lives to plead for his people but just as i finish i'm taking too much of your time but it's something we need to notice just for our finish and it's in verse 9 and it's important we notice this in verse 9 jesus says this he says i pray for them i do not pray for the world but for those whom you've given me for they are yours and it's something we need to notice here that all of this encouragement that we've had that Jesus is praying for his people, we need to notice that Jesus says, this isn't for everybody, but this is for those who believe in me. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you can take encouragement from these words, because they're not for you. As it stands, you're outside of the, the, the intercession of Christ. You're outside of this kind of tender care that Jesus has for his people. And you can't claim these, these wonderful truths for yourself. They're not yours, but they can be. They can be if you turn to him. If you repent believe in Christ, all of this encouragement, all of this hope, all of this assurance can be yours. Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. And we find rest in these truths this morning. And if you come to him, well, they will be yours. But perhaps you are here this morning and you are a believer. I trust what most of us, if, if not all of us, Well, what encouragement we can have as we go into this new year, that there is one who ever lives to intercede for us, and I encourage you to go home and to read through these verses and to think about Jesus interceding for you, and to dwell upon these truths as we go into a new year. I'm going to hand over to Stevie, who's going to uh, close our service for us.